We already mentioned this morning that going to the doctor can be somewhat a scary experience because you never know what the report is going to be. And when it is positive, we rejoice. But there's sometimes a sense of uncertainty. Usually when we're going to the doctor in the first place, it's because there's some issue, there's some problem that we're looking to address, which in itself can be scary. But even on a regular just checkup, we sometimes approach it with some apprehension. Well, what if they find something? And it becomes all the more fearful whenever the doctor starts asking for some tests. Let's take a closer look at this or that. What if there's something wrong? And what is the word that terrifies more people than any other? Cancer. Now, there's some here in our congregation, by God's grace, have been through that and are out on the other side, and we praise God for that. But in a recent study, it shows that Americans fear cancer more than any other disease, including Alzheimer's. It's the most dreaded disease there is. First, cancer can take many forms, can invade many parts of the body, and that to very troubling effect. The director of cancer information in the U.K., Dr. Leslie Walker, responding to this survey data that there's more fear of cancer than any other disease, said this. Cancer is a very emotive subject, and it's understandable why so many people fear it among other diseases. But people should be reassured that we are doing all we can to find new treatments for this disease. I think Dr. Walker there is trying to be reassuring. Don't, Don't be terrified. But do you notice in in the statement, which is supposed to be reassuring, she acknowledges there's no cure. We're working on it. We're doing our best. We're trying to advance the research, but there's no cure. With all the billions of dollars spent on research, with all the brilliant minds put to this task, there's still no cure for cancer. Who can save us from this disease? Well, the Bible, however, reveals to us there's a condition far more serious, far more fatal than cancer. And actually, it's at the root of all disease, all suffering, all pain, and all death. The condition we call sin. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, they sought to live independent of the Lord. By disobeying God, Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world. And immediately it corrupted their own hearts and the hearts of all who would follow in their footsteps. If we think of sin as a disease, Adam and Eve contracted it and they spread it to every one of their children. And so it is, the Bible says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, Romans 5.12. So as human beings, we are born in sin. Sin is our problem. If we go to the great physician, the diagnosis is clear. We are sinners. And like cancer, there's no cure. There's no procedure you can do. There's no no, uh, test or, or solution that we can offer. There's no way to restore ourselves to the unfallen state. Who will save us from this disease? Well, the answer is found in the Gospels, of course. The coming of Jesus is the solution. The stain of sin can only be erased by the blood of Christ. He is the healer of this dreaded disease of sin. And what is more, he wants to heal us. As we look at our passage this morning, we discover this. Jesus is willing to make the defiled clean. He is willing to make the defiled clean. 
Now, if we were to step back 2,000 years, the most dreaded disease was not cancer, but leprosy. It was both fatal, physically and relationally. Those with leprosy were treated as though they had already died. We're going to see in Mark chapter 1, Jesus encounters a desperate leper. In exchange, in this exchange that follows between Jesus and the leper, we learn something about the heart of Christ. We learn something about the heart of man. That's basically the outline I want us to follow this morning. And we're going to spend a great deal of time with the heart of Jesus. Number one, the heart of Jesus. Then we'll get to the heart of man as we go. What is the heart of Jesus towards sinners? After all, sinners are rebels against God, those who have broken his father's law. They have mocked the Lord who made them. We might expect Jesus to look at sinners with disgust and revulsion. And yet, when we read the Bible, that is not the heart of Christ. The Lord loves sinners, shows mercy to the undeserving. Now, don't forget that a day will come when God and particularly Christ, will judge the unrighteous according to their evil. In the Gospels, Jesus is at times very harsh with the the, uh, self-righteous, those who see themselves too good for God's grace. But we also see that he has great compassion, great mercy for sinners who are enslaved in their sin. In our passage this morning in Mark 1, it gives us a glimpse, the heart of Jesus for sinners. Let's read together, starting in verse 40. The Bible says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Now, this is a very dramatic miracle. And and to keep the analogy going here, this would be like a person suddenly and miraculously healed of late-stage cancer. It would shock the doctors and physicians and nurses. This was an incredible miracle because this was the worst condition a person could have. The scene is also dramatic in the way that Jesus chooses to heal. We we said previously that Christ in the gospel heals in a lot of different ways. Sometimes he stands from a distance and speaks the word and a person's healed. Sometimes he he does odd, uh, you know, putting mud in somebody's eye. But here he touches the leper, which has great significance as we consider what's going on here. That's something a first century person would never dream of doing touching someone with leprosy. Well, as we talk about the heart of Jesus that's shown in this passage, we first have to talk about leprosy. And leprosy really is a powerful metaphor for sin. Leprosy, a powerful metaphor for sin. And we'll see that as we go and and consider this. The Bible says in verse 40, now a leper came to him. Previously, Jesus had had this long, busy day, if you remember our study from last time. He's in the synagogue. He's healing people by night. He is getting up early in the morning to pray. This episode, however, 
is not connected to that day. In fact, I believe this just happens at some point during Jesus' uh, Galilean ministry. The other Gospels place it in different spots. And so, uh, really, it, it happens at some point. And we know from Luke that it happened while he was in the city. So during his Galilean ministry, Jesus is in a city one day, and a leper came to him. Now, leprosy was a terrible disease. Um, today, there's a condition known as leprosy called Hansen's disease, and it's named for a Norwegian physician, but it's a horrible affliction. It causes nerve damage, disfiguration. It can cause the loss of feeling and pain, which may seem like a good thing. You can't feel pain, but it also leads to horrible things because as the body sort of the, the skin and the condition of the, the body be deteriorates, a person could lose a finger and never know it, or a toe and never know it, because there's, there's a loss of feeling. The nerves begin to deteriorate. And in biblical times, the term leprosy referred to Hansen's disease, but also to a variety of other skin conditions. They weren't quite as specific. But leprosy in its worst form was probably just like that, an awful affliction. According to the Old Testament law, a person who had leprosy was declared unclean by the priest. And he was separated from the community of God's people. He would be essentially an outcast. Again, this was for several reasons. Uh, partially because the disease could spread from person to person. But it also made the one ceremonially unclean. Thus, he was put out of the camp and not part of the Israelite community. And I think Leprosy provides a very powerful metaphor for sin because of that element of separation, because of a lot of things. Let me give a sort of a brief description here with three words that fittingly describe what leprosy was like, but they also, if you notice, describe what sin is like. First of all, leprosy is disfiguring. It's disfiguring. A person with leprosy, again, it would appear first on the skin, but it would begin to cause um, various deformities and malformation of the bones and hands and feet. And it, it would lead to this awful state where a person began to look hideously deformed and disfigured by this. The hands and feet were sometimes reduced to nubs. Talk about... Think about this. When we talk about skin being discolored, which is one of the symptoms here, how do, we, how do we know that skin is discolored? Well, it's because we know what healthy skin is supposed to look like, right? We say, okay, here's what healthy skin looks like. Here's what discolored, unhealthy skin looks like. In other words, we've got a standard, and here it's not quite lining up, Right? This is not what good, healthy body looks like. And so we see in the same way, sin in a way is disfiguring because we know that what scripture looks like, it tells us what is God's intended purpose. It tells us how we are to live. And, and when we look at our lives, we are in a sense disfigured. We're not living according to what the scriptures say, are we? Morally, we fall short of the standard. We have a conscience that tells us that we are morally disfigured. 
So it's disfiguring. It's defiling also. A person who was a leper was ostracized from society, as I mentioned. And, and a lot of people assume it was solely because it was contagious. And while some forms of leprosy can be contagious, the isolation has as much to do with ceremonial uncleanness. So if a person was suspected they might have leprosy, they were to go to the priest, he would examine them, and then declare them clean or unclean. Here's what it says in Leviticus. Remember all these laws about leprosy in Leviticus. Well, here's, here's how it goes. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and must dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. So it was defiling. A person with leprosy was separated from the people. And you had these leper colonies that existed in the time of Jesus. And people who were lepers would oftentimes wrap themselves and cover, just like it said in the passage, cover their faces and cover themselves and then whenever they had to leave the leper colony or whenever they went anywhere, they would have to say, unclean, unclean, to let people know, stay away from me. They had to reside outside the cities. The leper was an outcast in every sense. In fact, the only way lepers were really provided for was by family, bringing them food, supporting their needs. Third, leprosy is destructive. The end result was death. There was really no hope for the leper. He would must lead the rest of his life as an outcast until the disease eventually took his life. And even though they were living, they were already dead in a sense, dead to their families. Numbers 12, there's an interesting story about Aaron and Miriam who questioned Moses' authority. And God's anger burned against them, and Miriam was struck with leprosy. And here's, here's what it says in, in Numbers 12, 12. In her defense, Aaron speaks up and says, Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. So the leper was considered as one dead, even though they were living. Leslie Flynn, in his book, The Miracles of Jesus, records the story of the goodbye tree in Japan. There was a, on a, one of the islands of Japan, there was a leprosy hospital. And just outside the hospital was a little tree called the goodbye tree. And right underneath it was a little bench. And incoming patients to the leprosy hospital would come to that goodbye tree. And that's where they would say their goodbyes. And then they would go into the leprosy hospital, likely never to be seen by their family again. Again, they were treated as, it was almost like, this is where you get to say goodbye to your loved one because they're gone. They're essentially dead to you now. You can see the, the parallel here with sin, can't you? Because sin creates a situation in which we become the walking dead in a sense. We are alive in this world, and yet the Bible says we are dead in our sins. There really is a lot of parallels here, isn't there? Sin is disfiguring, it's ugly, it's disgusting, it's a wretched condition, it's defiling. Sin makes man, who is made in God's image, unclean in God's sight. Sin is finally destructive. Sin is the way to the grave. 
It's the reason death exists in our world. So the situation of the leper reminds us very much of the situation that sin produces. Well, let's go back to Mark chapter 1. So this leper who has this awful condition, in fact, again, Luke is helpful here because Luke tells us that he was full of leprosy. In other words, this wasn't a minor case. This man had it in its worst form. He comes to Jesus and he falls down on his knees. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's such an interesting expression, isn't it? He doesn't say, Jesus, give it your best shot. Do what you can. Help me if you're able. No, he's heard the stories. He's seen people throughout Galilee who have been healed. And so he has no doubt in his mind that Jesus can heal. It's just the question of, Lord, I don't know if you're willing. I don't know if you want to reach out and touch an unclean leper. But if you're willing, please make me clean. It's a statement of great faith in a way. Leprosy is a powerful metaphor for sin, but I also want us to note that Christ is the ultimate remedy. Christ is the ultimate remedy. This is where we see the heart of Jesus coming out. Look at verse 41. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. The Bible here says Christ was moved with compassion. It's interesting to me that Mark chooses to record how Jesus felt about this man. Where most people in the city looked on him with disgust, Jesus looked on with compassion. He feels deeply pained over the condition of this man. And again, this is a very moving word that's used here. That Jesus has deep, heartfelt compassion for him. On a few occasions, the Bible actually says that Jesus is angry in places you would expect there to be compassion. This is one of them, actually. Uh, well, there, most of the, the versions of the, uh, or at least the manuscripts we have of Mark, say compassion. Yet we have one very old, very a well-attested manuscript, which actually uses the word anger here. Jesus was angered. Again, we see this outside the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus is angered. And it's almost like Jesus is bro he's compassionate towards the man, but angry over what sin does. Sin, this terrible disease. Sometimes we can feel anger over things like a disease. We can feel anger over the effects of sin, and we ought to. It's terrible what sin does and how it ruins people's lives and how it destroys relationships and how it destroys people. Nevertheless, we, we know, though, Jesus is filled with compassion. He hurts for the hurting. He hates what sin has done to his creation. To really appreciate verse 41, though, you kind of have to use your imagination a little bit. Here's this leper, and he's probably covered in, in rags. He probably has not cleaned himself in a long, long time, not to mention his hands are probably gnarled. His face is mostly covered with bandages, again, crusty rags more than anything else. Any hair that's showing is probably popping out and is matted and filthy. 
The man probably smells very bad. I, and the whole crowd in this town is standing at a distance, maybe holding their nose literally, if not figuratively. They're all standing back, maybe covering their own faces in the presence of this defiled man. There he is, kneeling before Jesus. The Bible says he reached out. And oh, I, w- I wish I could be here for this. Because as his hand extends, I imagine everybody kind of gasps and takes a step back. Is he really going to touch this defiled leper? This unclean man? And out the hand extends and Jesus touches him and everybody just lets out an audible gasp. What's he doing? You see, no first century person would ever dare to do this. Again, to touch a leper was to make oneself unclean. So we see the compassionate Savior, and I want us to notice his willingness here. His willingness. He reaches out this trembling leper in front of him and touches him. I was thinking about this in terms of this past year and, and all the, the discussion over coronavirus and all this. And, you know, it's, it's been very, it, this would be like walking up and shaking somebody's hand like a year ago. <laughs> you know. What are you doing? Don't touch him. Don't don't spread the germs around. And Jesus reaches out and he touches this leper, which was rule number one. Never touch a leper. I read once that there was a rabbi during this same period of time who prided himself on the fact that he had never touched anything unclean. And he, he boasted that whenever I see a leper coming, I pick up rocks and I throw them at him to keep them away so I will never be unclean. It's not at all what you see with this rabbi, is it? He's filled with compassion and he touches this leper and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus is willing to touch the defiled. He's willing to cleanse the defiled. Again, it's so interesting because normally when you touch someone who's unclean, you become unclean. In this case, it seems to work in reverse Michael Card writes this, a person who is clean touches someone who is unclean, and for the first time in recorded history, the flow is miraculously reversed. It's not Jesus who becomes unclean, but the unclean man who is made whole. And so it is. You notice uh, Mark's favorite word, verse 42, when he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately. I wonder what it looked like. The man's back suddenly straightens and toes start to regrow and and suddenly the the skin begins to change back to its normal hue. People must have been amazed at what happened. It's wonderful. And, And isn't it wonderful to you that Jesus is willing to reach out and touch the defiled? Let me also mention very quickly his warning. So we see his willingness, but also his warning. Verse 43, he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And it's interesting. We'll say more about this in a few moments. But Christ sternly warns him not to tell anyone else about the miracle. And there is an interesting switch of tone here in verse 43. But right now what I want to focus on is the heart of Jesus. Far from looking at sinners as an abomination that he would love to see destroyed, Jesus looks with compassion. Jesus 
has no love for sin, but people like this leper and tax collectors and sinners who see their need and come to Christ, he welcomes them with open arms. For such people, Christ came. He came to seek and to save the lost. It was not for the well that he came, but for the sick. Here's the amazing thing, though. Jesus is willing to heal us. He he wants to forgive our sins. He, He has compassion for sinners who have broken his law. And what is more, Jesus took our sickness. The Bible teaches that the sinless Savior became sin for us. He took our guilt upon himself on the cross. And in dying, he took our place and now offers us forgiveness. Uh, uh, The penalty of our sin has been paid in full. Jesus paid it with his life. And now we have forgiveness. Now we are clean, who were formerly unclean. This is the heart of Christ, the heart of Jesus, our Savior. Came across a story which sort of evokes the heart of Jesus a bit. It's the story of a missionary named Mary Reed. Very good last name, by the way. Born in the mid-1800s, she was burdened to reach India for Christ and went there as a missionary. She spent several years but eventually visited a remote area in the north where she discovered a leper colony, a modern-day leper colony. And as much as she tried, she couldn't forget about it, their helplessness. And she wanted to serve those people, and she did. She went and served among them. Well, for nearly a decade, she was in India, and then she returned to the U.S. for medical reasons. She came and visited a doctor, and they were trying to figure out what was wrong with her. The symptoms just didn't add up, but eventually it dawned on her she had leprosy. All those years serving in the leper colony. And you might think, what a devastating diagnosis. Because at this time, there was no cure. But to her, it wasn't a devastating diagnosis. She saw it as an opportunity. If I have leprosy, how much more can I serve those who have it? And so she sought to return to India. In a very touching letter she wrote to her family, she said this, Jesus has enabled me to say not with a sigh, but with a song, thy will be done. She returned to the lepers that she loved and continued to serve them, established a chapel and some Bible studies. And after 53 years of service in India, she died and was buried among those other lepers in India. That, to me, is just a dim reflection of the heart of Jesus, who has compassion on sinners like us. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Christ came down and looked at us with disgust, because we're defiled. And yet he looks on us with compassion. That is the heart of Christ. But our passage takes an unexpected turn here. And with it, it reveals, secondly, the heart of man. The heart of man. You know, the heart of Jesus is compassion, is willingness to bind up sinners, but the heart of man is something different. As I was studying this passage, I was really struck by how there are really two halves to it. The first one is this very wonderful, exciting scene in which Jesus heals a leper, and then in verse 43, it's like 
the whole tone of the passage changes. Jesus seems almost curt with this man. You're kind of like, what happened? Like, why the sudden shift? Look at verse 43. He strictly warned him and sent him away and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So again, we have to ask, what happened here? And the more I thought about it, the more I think it has to do with the heart of man. Despite the fact that Christ is full of compassion, the heart of man is corrupt. And Jesus knows this. In fact, in John 2, 24 and 25, the Bible says, Jesus did not commit himself to them, that is, to the crowds. Here's why. Because he knew all men. For he knew what was in man. You see, Christ knew man's heart. Let's take a look at this, though. Look at the warning. Again, I returned to that same thought we had before. The warning in verse 43. Jesus doesn't celebrate this moment, does he? It's not like he stops and says, Hey, everybody, let's rejoice with this leper who was previously unclean. He doesn't tell the man to go out and share the good news with his friends. What he says is actually sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? It says here he strictly warned him or sternly warned him, which is a very, very strong expression. It was originally used of the snorting of horses. And the idea is with flared nostrils of anger. So when it says he sternly warned them, it's with this, this uh, well, with a word which originally had the idea of anger. So instead of Jesus looking to the man and saying, listen, sir, I know you're healed and I know you're excited, but let, let's just kind of, let's keep this on the low. No, this is Jesus wagging his finger in the man's face saying, listen up. You ever had those moments, like maybe when you were a kid, and mom and dad had to be stern? And, you know, and, and maybe, maybe it was they were always a little bit on the stern side. But for, for some of us, you know, uh, it can be a, sometimes a dramatic shift where suddenly it's like, oh, dear, you know, mom's mad. Uh, maybe that's how this leper felt a little bit, that Jesus, you know, after being so compassionate, kind of gets serious with this guy. And even the term here in verse 43, it says he warned him and sent him away. That word send away is also very, very strong. So Mark is trying to get the idea across that this is not just Jesus kind of, okay, on your way, sir, but rather is getting pretty stern with him. What's Jesus doing? Why is his attitude so serious and somber and strict? I believe it's because he knows the heart of man. People are not interested in Christ because they love him. People are not interested in Christ because they they know they're sinners and they need help. No, people are interested in Christ because he does miracles. And this is is exciting stuff. This is the, the best show in town. And so Jesus knows that as this man goes out and shares, it's going to draw crowds, but not the right kind of crowds. It's not going to draw people who are in need Well, not spiritually. It's going to draw a lot of people who just want healing and nothing more. They're not interested in being Christ followers. They're not interested in repentance. They're not interested in the gospel. What they want is this 
problem taken care of, and then I can go on my merry way and do my own thing. By spreading the news of the miracle, it would draw spectators rather than believers. So he gives him, second, this instruction. So we see the warning, we see the instruction in verse 44. See to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So he gives this instruction. Basically tells him, number one, don't tell anyone. Don't go sharing this abroad. But also, do what the Old Testament commanded. The Bible gave a procedure for someone who was cleansed of leprosy. There was offerings they had to make. They had to go do that in the temple with the priests. So Jesus didn't come to overturn the law. He tells him, follow the practice of the law here. But don't spread it around. Again, what happens if he spreads it around? Well, we get to see in the very next verse, 30, uh, 45. He went out and began to proclaim it freely, spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. So the man goes out and apparently deliberately disobeys what Jesus just told him. And he goes out and he goes sharing it and, and spreading it. And what happens? It disrupts Jesus' ministry. Remember, back in verse 38, Jesus had said, my mission is to go into all the towns and preach the gospel. And now he can't. He can't go into towns because there's too many crowds and everybody is all uh, wide-eyed about Jesus. Not for the right reasons. In fact, he can't even preach. There's so many uh, people flooding him with their various needs. See, it disrupted what Jesus was doing because the fame of the miracles grew. It overshadowed the message. And that's what we see in the man's response. Finally, the response. This is so interesting to me because I don't know what to think of this leper. What do you, what do you think? First of all, he apparently has great faith, right? If you're willing, make me clean. But Jesus gives him basically one command and he doesn't obey. Was this man a believer? Did, did he really think that Jesus was the Son of God? Well, I don't know what the, the leper believed. But I also know that he did not listen to the Lord's command. Now, I, I know some people have looked at verse 45 and, and actually cast it as a positive and said, well, you know, Jesus told him not. But you know what? If we're, if we're changed by the Lord, we can't help but share. So, indeed, we should go out and share and tell others about Jesus. Well, that is true to an extent. We should tell others about Jesus, right? But Christ specifically told them, don't share this. Don't speak this openly. So I'm a little bit conflicted on how to view this, this leper. The man chooses to disobey, showing that while he appreciated the healing... He really didn't have a commitment to following Jesus' words, did he? He didn't follow this word. And I think there's a bit of foreshadowing here for the whole Gospel of Mark. Because as we study the, the, the Gospel, the nation is going to respond much like this leper has. Excited about the miracles, excited about what Jesus is doing, but having no real interest in following his words. In fact, this leper is kind of a pattern for what, how the nation is going to respond. I think it also illustrates us about the heart of man. 
Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you know there's a sense in which our own hearts are more wicked than we give them credit for? We don't even understand our own hearts. You ever wonder to yourself, how is it that we can follow Jesus and yet there's still so much wickedness that comes out of us? You see, our hearts are desperately wicked. And even though we are changed and continue to be changed by the Holy Spirit, we still also sin, don't we? Again, I'm not saying this man was a follower of Jesus. I don't know. But it appears to me he's looking for healing and nothing more. He doesn't want a Lord. He wants a physician. The heart of man is treacherous at best. Now, again, I see this so much today as well, where people want Jesus as long as Jesus has something for them, but they get to come on their own terms. Yeah, I've got a need. And they may even say, well, you know, I'm coming to Christ. You know, I want Christ, but I want him kind of on my own terms. It begs the question, well, how desperate are you? You know, well, let, let me give you an illustration. This just happened this morning. So our son cut his finger. And it wasn't bad at all, but there was a little bit of blood. And so he's crying, and he's asking for a Band-Aid. I need a Band-Aid on my finger. And he comes into the bathroom. His mother's there, and she gets, uh, gets the Band-Aids out, and she says to him, I've got a Paw Patrol Band-Aid for your finger. He stops. He kind of looks at her and goes, I want a Toy Story Band-Aid. <laughs> it's like, how badly do you need a Band-Aid? Because really, if you understand your great need, it doesn't matter what the picture is on the Band-Aid, does it? I just need it. You see, I feel like that's how the world kind of approaches. I need help. I need this. I need that. And it's like, well, the answer is Christ. Do you have something different? Do you have something that's a little more palatable for me? Something that I'm not looking to change my life here. I just want this problem taken away. Again, that's the heart of man. But few people are ready to acknowledge that their hearts are deceitful and wicked. You know, sure, some people are bad. Some people are like that, but not me. Think about that, though. Isn't that just your wicked heart trying to convince you that you don't need Christ? Isn't that just self-righteous pride proving that you do have a wicked heart? Another one we could add to this thought is a stubborn heart as well. The people that uh, had Jesus in their midst yet they wouldn't listen to him or obey him. I guess we ought to ask, how would we be any different? You know, the heart goes after sin like a fish to water. I mean, it's just bound up in iniquity. And this brings us full circle. Because it's the heart of man that makes the heart of Jesus necessary, right? Our heart is corrupt. It is unclean. It is sinful through and through. But Jesus does not treat us according to our sins, but according to his mercy, according to his great compassion. So yes, we all have the heart of man, deceitful, wicked, sinful. But we see also in this passage the heart of Jesus, full of compassion and kindness to sinners like us. So I want to close with two questions. Two questions. Number one, have you found the remedy for the heart of man? 
Have you found the remedy for the heart of man? If our hearts are indeed sinful, and getting back to our initial illustration, if we have late-stage cancer in our hearts, have you found the one who can make you clean? Have you come to the point where you have cried out to him, if you are willing, cleanse me? Again, Jesus took your guilt, your sin upon the cross. And if you've never done it, I beseech you today to turn to Christ and receive the gift that he gives, the forgiveness, the cleansing, that you can be made whole. Not perfect, but on your way to heaven. Secondly, though, do you display the heart of Jesus? Christ was full of compassion for sinners. And yet, I feel that sometimes our hearts are less than compassionate towards one another. We can sometimes be, well, we can sometimes be like the crowd in this case, which stands back from the leper and says, oh, unclean, get him out of here. Whereas the heart of Jesus reaches out to the defiled. Do we treat others according to their sins, or do we offer the kind of forgiveness we've received in Christ? Do we display the heart of Jesus? I pray that we